Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week in episode 34, we're discussing Excalibur 33, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which is named after a Tennessee Williams play and subsequent film starring Elizabeth Taylor and Paul Newman. These stories don't share a lot of plot in common, but do share some queer subtext, something I'm sure we'll be talking about today in part two of Girls' School from Heck. Excalibur number 33 was originally published in December 1990, and the creative team is Chris Claremont on writing, Ron Wagner on pencils and inks, John Wilcox on colors, Tim Harkins on letters, and Terry Kavanaugh on editing. Enter the female jungle of women's prison, USA. A seething hell of steel and stone where bodies behind bars ache with hunger for a man, any man. Where caged passions ignite in carnal confinement and explode into violence. We have a violent sorority here. With very strong ways of dealing with it. You're in a house of desperate women here, and a long, long way from home. I am very excited to chat with this week's artistically inclined guest about lots of things, including the overwhelming awesomeness of Kitty's fringe jacket. Uh, I will introduce <laughs> our very special guest in a moment, but first, the regular squad. I am Dr. Anna Papard. I talk about lots of stuff in lots of places, but especially gender and sexuality and superheroes and books and essays and in university classrooms and on podcasts, including this one, of course, but also Three Panel Contrast, co-hosted by this pod's own Andrew DeMann. My volunteer hours as Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager aren't always easy but Kurt Speedo in this issue reminded me of why it's worth it I'm looking forward to talking about that as well I am joined as always by Mav introduce yourself Hi, my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And I just want you to know that high school is a lot like prison, bad food, high fences, the sex you want, you ain't getting, the sex you getting, you don't want. I've seen terrible things, Anna, <laughs> terrible things. I also want to say that I am not a Heather, I am a Veronica. That's, those are the things that I want to say. Um, none of that needs any explanation. I'm, <laughs> I am, besides doing this, I'm a, I'm a student and scholar of pop culture, especially all things race and gender and sexuality in class, especially in 20th century pop culture, like comic books like this one, and also movies, which is why there are always references that I, you know, I don't usually explain them. So I just, I wonder who even gets the things that I say on this show, but whatever. And you can also hear me as the... <laughs> Host of another show called Vox Popcast, where I talk about inanity like this, you know, every week. So, um, <laughs> is, I'm 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 feeling a little better about this issue in the series, but yeah, I it's a weird book. 
<laughs> Weird book coming up. <laughs> yeah, I kind of. Well, anyway, we'll get into it. But yeah, I kind of, there's, there's there's stuff I'm obviously keen to talk about in this issue as well. So, yeah. um, Andrew, if you'd like to say a bit about yourself, I, I would first like to say that I get all of Mav's references. Thank you. Oh, I got your I'm Doctor Andrew <laughs> I'm at Saint Jerome's University and online at the Claremont Run Twitter account, which affords me the fantastic luxury of just thinking and writing about my favorite author on a daily basis and interacting with a really lovely online community. But today I'm here for Anna discussing Kurt's swimwear choices because sometimes it's just nice to see your friends be happy about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's certainly in the outline, but I'm going to be patient and save it for the end. <laughs> we'll talk lots about Kitty as well. <laughs> oh, Kitty's here too? <laughs> she is indeed. She is very impressively present. <laughs> we'll be talking lots about her. So the squad is accompanied this week by a guest whose work us on the podcast and most of X Twitter and the wider world have been admiring for some time now. The supremely talented stage fan extraordinaire, Valentine Smith. Welcome, Valentine. Hello. I love that Sage fan extraordinaire made it in there. That's my favorite part. How could it not? How could it not? Honestly. Listen, if that's what I'm known for, it's fine. <laughs> I did my job. So let's uh, tell the listeners a little bit about you, Valentine. So I've been privileged to get to know you a little bit lately through our mutual friends at Comics XF, but I haven't asked you the important questions that you should always ask anyone when meeting them for the first time, like... <laughs> How did you first get into X-Men? Um, I got into X-Men because my dad was an X-Men fan. Um, he's a comics fan at large, but X-Men was definitely one of the first things that he sat me down with and I was enthralled. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely spent a lot of time, you know, going through his old collection and reading books. His favorite X-Men is Nightcrawler. So <laughs> I was exposed to a lot of nightcrawler things that maybe other people weren't like excalibur was one of the first books that he was like oh yeah this is great kitty's there nightcrawler's there you're gonna love this and it's Aww. weird as hell <laughs> <laughs> so. that is like a pretty succinct description of why i like excalibur so. yeah right <laughs> but so like kind of what age were you when you were getting into x-men like was it when you were a kid or a teenager or yeah um so <laughs> He was definitely like the pair, he would read me stories. And then like, Aww. once I was introduced to a comic book, we would like do like a chunk of a comic book at night to fall asleep, <laughs> which is probably why I still do that now. Um, but like, yeah, so I'm like five and he's reading me, you know, fatal attractions. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was also exposed to horror movies very early on, but you know, I digress. <laughs> My dad used to tell me, <laughs> yeah, my dad used to tell me H.P. Lovecraft stories as like bedtime yeah, stories. So exactly. Yeah. Same, some, same vibe. Some I watched Roots there. when I was two. <laughs> that, two? <laughs> that was my, how do you Roots. remember that? Yeah. Um, I, I watched, I've I, I told this story on my other show, but uh, when I was two years old, um, my mo was when Roots premiered and my mother and I had one television and she certainly wasn't going to miss it. So we watched, uh... so we watched it together. And then we had nice, serious conversations about slavery afterwards because my mother was a single mom living with a two-year-old who was like, okay, I'm going to talk about this with someone. Okay, kid, here's what, here's what slavery is. And that's why I'm who I am today. <laughs> this is, this is how I learned culture on and literary, and literary studies because I was having <laughs> discussions about the works of Alex Haley at two. And then we moved on to Stephen King. 
yeah, that's my life. <laughs> there you it's go. An origin story. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for that, Mab. We haven't had that story on our podcast before, and yeah. it's a wonderful story. Um, can I ask you, Valentine, about sort of your artistic influences, like within the context of X-Men? Like, I know that you make comics as well, including some X-Men-inspired comics. Like, what kind yeah. of inspires you about this space? Like, what inspires you about it sort of on a storytelling level and on a visual level? I think for me, the the characters are, after so long, there's so many, it's very sprawling. It's a very like big world that you can kind of do a lot in it and a lot with a lot of the character interactions. I feel like that's probably one of the biggest things for me is like the, the depth of the characters that you can dive into and the different kinds of stories that you can tell, like when they interact with one another. Yeah. <laughs> also, they just look great. <laughs> they do look great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think for, you know, and this has been spoken about a lot by a lot of different people who know a lot more than me. Um, but like when you're growing up queer, a lot of queer readers are drawn to the X-Men because of that, like, mm -hmm. you know, outsider perspective and, you know, the mutant metaphor and everything. So I think that was definitely something for me. So you obviously do have a particular affection for Excalibur and encountered it long ago. What kind of stands out to you about Excalibur in terms of like the identity of this series? Like, does it stand out to you as different from other X-Men series? I mean, obviously there's a lot of similarities too. We're still dealing with mutant metaphor. We're still dealing with bands of outsiders mm -hmm. fighting crime as a, as a team of super friends and all of those things, right? <laughs> but like, do you have any feeling about what makes this book special or different from other books, if it is special or different from other books? My experience with Excalibur, I didn't like read it the whole way through. I was definitely like getting issues here and there. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, so this is like, I went back and reread from the beginning to now to do this because I was like, Aww. okay, we're going to sit Aww. down. Um, <laughs> it was already on my list. And then I was like, great. Now I have a like deadline reason. Um, <laughs> but I think Excalibur, at least, you know, maybe at the time it's, it's, a little bit funnier, a little bit wackier, a little bit like mm. more out there. Like they're experimenting with a lot in the book, both story-wise, both storytelling-wise. I know you've talked about it like narratively of like the non-linear kind of storytelling that they get into. I think they're doing a lot of different stuff, especially with Alan Davis, like with the panels and kind of communicating the expressions are different. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I, I just think there's a lot of experimenting going on and some of it hits and some of it hits really well and some of it doesn't. And that's what you're going to do when you're like trying something new. So I always appreciated that it was like something new to the table that you weren't getting in other books or other places. I should ask you, like, for some reason, when I was doing this outline, I didn't think enough about your artistic background. But can I ask you about <laughs> your can I ask you about your artistic influences? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't really know what they are anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's see if I have an answer. Um, I think early on a lot of the stuff that I was getting was comic books and horror movies yeah. <laughs> like before I really kind of delved back into comics here and rekindling that love I was doing a lot of like horror movie related artwork so I was doing like cool. posters and I was doing some stuff for music you know but I was doing a lot of like D-list horror movies that I was interested in and like doing up like mock-up posters or like doing, you know, things for like local smaller films or what have you. So I feel like that's definitely something. Um, I like things with like a bright pop of color <laughs> and mm -hmm. a heavy ink. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can I so. throw a name at Valentine just to see if there's an influence there? Yeah. Were you influenced at all by Jaime Hernandez? Because I saw a lot of like Jaime Hernandez's specifically covers uh, oh, in some of yeah. the illustrations. I didn't think about that before, 
but like that's <laughs> definitely like someone that I've like looked at. You know what I mean? Okay. So I'm not <laughs> like, completely I, wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just it's like when you're you know going through comics as a while and like looking at all of that art over like a long stretch of time. Like that's a name that I completely forgot about for a hot second. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> going back and reading these, getting to look at those like Bernie Wrightson that I who I love. Like I was like, oh, oh my god, I love that. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't want to presume to like say what your work is, but I mean, I can kind of see that as you're kind of describing it, you know, kind of, I don't want to say like a merging of genres in your art, but you know, I love the things that you do with like recontextualizing the characters and I don't know. I just, your artwork <laughs> is great is what I'm saying. I'm just sort of fanning out a little bit. <laughs> Thanks, um, let's do our issue summary and then we'll talk about this particular issue and come back to some first impressions. So I know we have lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. You're the wind beneath our wind and thank you ever so much. But as usual, let's set up today's routine with a plot summary. At the BBC studios in London, Captain Britain and Megan are exploring the set of her favourite soap, having received an invitation for Megan to appear as a guest star. Supremely disappointing all of us, the guest star invitation is a ruse of the nefarious Mesmero. Everyone's favourite green-skinned mutant with the nebulous power of hypnosis promptly takes control of Brian and Megan's minds. Then I turn the page and lose focus for a minute because Kurt's standing on the ledge in a speedo <laughs> and they're a lot of velvety blue abs and then I collect myself and I realize (laughs) we're back at the lighthouse and Kurt's preparing to dive into the ocean to test his teleporting powers he's getting a little bit better but remains well short of his former abilities he performs a perfect many somersault dive and one successful teleport from the ocean back into the air but his second teleportation attempt stalls leaving him disoriented underwater he's saved from drowning by Rachel who drags him back up to the lighthouse's observation deck to give him a right proper talking to lucky for Kurt they're interrupted by the door bell. Rachel leaves to answer the door and it's Jean Grey, but it's not really Jean Grey, it's Mesmero. Meanwhile, Kurt, still on the observation deck, ponders his risky behavior, admitting it probably is linked to Kitty's disappearance. She is still missing, they think, from the cross-time caper. Suddenly, Kurt realizes the fact Widget won't take them to Kitty can only mean one thing. Kitty's already there, on Earth, in the 616. This realization is infuriating, but at least it happened. But before (laughs) Kurt can share the good news, mesmerized Brian shows up and decks him. Soon, everyone's under Mesmero's control. Back at St. Cyril's school for girls, Kitty is outside practicing her martial arts. From the bushes, the other girls watch her, continuing to plot her downfall. Later, Kitty spies on head girl and head bully Phoebe Huntsman, as Huntsman spies on headmistress Miss Rutherford, who is on the phone discussing the school's bankruptcy and impending closure. Kitty and Huntsman fight, but realize they both want to save the school. Kitty announces she has a plan, which they subsequently reveal to the rest of the students. The plan is, the St. Cyril's girls will win the cheerleading competition for Britain's first American football team and use the winnings to save the school. Kitty will train them. <laughs> Finally, back in London, those yellow robots have returned to pressure Mesmero into exploiting his relationship with world leaders like Margaret Thatcher. Mesmero gives the robots an ultimatum. Reveal your boss or kill me. The robots leave with the mesmerized Captain Britain in pursuit. Mesmero plans to use the mesmerized members of Excalibur to find and destroy whoever is trying to use him. Okay, now that we've dispensed with those boring plot details, we can talk about what's actually interesting in this comic, which is basically everything else. Um, I'm kidding, I do want to talk about about the plot a little bit um but i also want to talk about everything that happens sort of between the lines and between the panels and between the lines of dialogue in this issue so anyway i really thought there was going to be a between joke oh. about kurt's little patty underwear um, <laughs> <laughs> and i was like waiting for it i'm like just waiting for it going i mean this is your this is your moment please enjoy it <laughs> As said, sometimes you just want to be happy for your friends <laughs> 
I, I'm not even kidding about the when I was rereading it and I get to that page, I did just like kind of like go into a fugue state for like a solid minute and then like continue. <laughs> this is like how terrible I am. Um, but is anyway, like a soft musical like little like montage moment for you, <laughs> like where you're just like. <laughs> I'm just grateful, you know. I'm just it's grateful. It's like you know how um Jean has the white hot room. Do you have like the Kurt space <laughs> where you go? <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the issue at hand. Um coming to you first, Valentine, guest privilege. Do you have any rants or raves about this particular issue that you're anxious to get off your chest? What particularly stands out to you about it and what are you particularly looking forward to discussing? Um, I mean, I feel like if you know me at all. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm going to love discussing every bit of that um, kitty subtext that happens in this issue. Yeah. There's so much to dig into there. We've got pages and pages of it. We had some in the issue before. We'll have some in the issue after. Yeah. But this one has a good chunk. <laughs> yeah, I feel oh. like this one, we sort of mentioned in the last episode that this one has perhaps the most of that. But so I certainly yeah. want to talk about that. Yeah, I want to talk. I love that. And I also, you know, not to like... <laughs> pump you up some more but i do want to talk about those nightcrawler pages <laughs> nice uh, i'm so, happy um, i'm happy if i'm not the only one that wants to talk about that because yeah uh, there's a there's a couple things and it's like you know context wise and then also like art design wise and how it's like laid out and everything there's a couple things i want to get to about that because this is a very like there's some deliberate choices in this issue on panel and on what the colors chose to do like I said earlier, to some great effect, to some, like, I feel like where it actually hinders a little bit, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Why don't we actually start with that? Because we kind of did first impressions on the girls' screw from Hex Storyline in the last episode, so let's actually just get right into it. And, like, again, because we should be exploiting your artistic background, like, what do you make <laughs> What do you make of the style of this storyline? We talked in the last episode a little bit about how he's clearly going for sort of a retro style. He is referencing, mm -hmm. you know, like, girls' comics from the 50s, that kind of thing. I mean, different types of comics, too, because the, the heavy line sort of has a gothic feel as well. But I'd be anxious to hear more about your take on the choice to sort of do the comic in this particular style which as we we talked about before is um different than Wagner's usual style as well so she's, he's clearly doing a thing here mm -hmm. like what do you think he's going for I think it's great I think he's definitely yeah going for that retro style especially with the like girls school from heck theme like there's a whole he's very clearly like drawing on those kind of like tropes or styles that was typical just speaking on like the <laughs> the Kurt the Kurt issues of it all um <laughs> I read this a couple times I read it once digitally and then I have physical copies and I went through and I marked my physical copies and I think one of the things that drew me first of all was I love the use of the long panels. I love the long panels on that like nice establishing shot. We've got the long lighthouse so we know exactly how far he's jumping off right away. And then the mo the movement and the like moment that you're able to get from him somersaulting off there, it's perfect. Love that. Um, the limited color, love it. And it's used in beautiful spots like that yellow, the pink, the yellow and the orange. It's limited, but it works for what it does. And it looks beautiful together. And then reading it digitally, of course, you get shown pages one at a time. And then as most comics readers like know, like your typical comic is a double page and you open it and it's a spread. I love the page as a single, but I absolutely love the spread. Um, I think it works really, really well. How we go from long panel, long panel, long panel to when Rachel comes in and it goes back to that more square or rectangular than like 
the length that we had just had when Kurt was alone. It looks beautiful together. I love the flow. I really, really, really do love this spread. And it this is one of the cases where it like hurts me a little bit that there are some people who are only reading digitally, you know, of course, for like reasons like you can't get it otherwise. That's totally fine. But like, you know, this is the way that it was intended to be viewed. Like the artist definitely arranged it this way on purpose and it works really well. So... <laughs> Oh my god, I'm curious about that now. So like, are you reading it in a in a trade? Yeah, so I have uh, one of the Excalibur trades. I have a couple single issues that I'm collecting here and there. So this one is one of the like first trades they put out, you know? <laughs> because tragically, I'm looking at the original floppy right now. And my copy mm-hmm. of the floppy has like the Kurt diving scene. And then it's broken up with an ad for the video game Wrath of the Black no. Manta. And oh, then it goes terrible. to the next page, so it's not a spread in my floppy. Oh my god, that's yeah. terrible! It's so good because <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at it. I have to flip back and forth. I'm like, that would look really nice, and yet I have it, it broken really up does. with this ad. <laughs> oh my god, I have to send you a picture of this because it's great. It really, really looks good together. <laughs> yeah, I know. I could and- see that. And even when like you have the colors, right? You have your like bright pops of color. And then mm-hmm. when he's having that moment of panic and drowning underwater, the colors all go away and it comes back when Rachel plucks mm-hmm. him out of the water, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like all of that stuff is working really well together to create a mood, like in all like three segments of that progression. What do you make of the mood kind of of the girl school from heck sections? And I mean, I yeah, I want to talk to you specifically about the martial arts section because I really love that page as well. But yeah, um, <laughs> like we sort of we we talked briefly in the last episode that like some of the weight of kind of the line work and stuff and I mean Wagner's doing the pencils and the inks here so this is very deliberate kind of creates a sense of claustrophobia almost in the girls' school from heck section and I wasn't sure if you felt that or if you had a different read on it like how does it feel to you in the girls' school from heck sections like how do you think the style that he's choosing is sort of working with the themes of that story I think it feels very populated and yeah I would I would say like you know when Kitty's alone it's a little more open just because he's not including those details because probably because Kitty is using this as a form of like meditation and like recoming back to self. Right. So she's like there by herself. Right. So there's, there, she doesn't see or feel anything around her. She's just in her own mind doing her own thing. And then immediately when all the girls come back, it's very, very busy. I think that's great. I think when it goes to like the nighttime, <laughs> yeah. I'm caught between like, I like the idea of creating that, like, solitary aloneness of like having like one color I think it gets a little less deliberate when it's everything I think that these scenes where like Kitty is alone and stuff um, and then she moves in to go chase Huntsman to see what she's up to this would have benefited from what you can kind of see on one of those pages where there's a pop of red and the silhouette is Kitty is popping out I think if it was used in a more deliberate way like they kind of done on the Kurt panels where there are these pops of color and then there's the darkness when like it's a, a panic or a different kind of mood we could have used that on when Huntsman is alone and listening and she's very solitary and like simple color and then bring the color back when Kitty comes in or something like that otherwise it all these beautiful panels which I like they all kind of run together a little bit when they're very monotone like that 
Yeah, I'm curious about that section. I mean, I wonder if we should just talk about queer coding because we're talking about that scene anyway. <laughs> and I mean, it's such an important scene. Like, I mean, what were some of like the moments that stood out to you in this comic in particular in terms of queer coding? And you can be as obvious or not as you want because I'm curious about it in that scene because it sort of creates a context of like danger and possibility, like the way that we mm -hmm. have sort of things like stripped away and made mysterious and made strange in that section. And I wondered if you thought sort of that that part of it was intentional or how you felt about well so I'll say one of the things we talked about in the previous episode which you won't have heard yet because we just recorded it we were sort of debating about the exploitation kind of context of the comic and like what that did for us in terms of gazes because we had nervousness about some of the male gaziness of it but we didn't want to neglect the queer subtext stuff and I think this issue does a little bit more with queer subtext than the last issue did although we talked about that there too especially in the field hockey game oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah I don't know I mean I'm curious in terms of you reading it and interacting with it what were some of the moments that kind of stood out to you do we want to start with that panel with Kitty and her jacket in the fringe <laughs> For sure, because that's like one of my, like the two panels that stand out for me from the whole issue are Kitty in the Fringe and like Kurt in the Speedo mm -hmm. on the ledge. Those are my two favorites. Yeah, that panel is perfect. Just head held high. She didn't, she was out working out. She didn't need to bring that yeah. jacket. She really didn't, but she was a deliberate <laughs> choice. She brought it out. She sees them watching her and then she puts it on and just like struts past. And of it. course they're all looking. <laughs> It's so amazing. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. want to talk about the symbology of that jacket too, mm -hmm. like a little mm -hmm. bit more. Come back at the end. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, we, we haven't heard from you, Mav and Andrew, for a while, and like, I mean, we can do some first impressions if you want. Like, I mean, if there's anything that Valentine brought up that you want to kind of respond to, we can do that, or we can get into some more coding. I agree with her a lot. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I mean, if you can tell by me previewing my feelings on an issue with the with our first with my my intro every time i like this story better than the last one i think it hangs together it's it's a little slower than last issue yeah um because it doesn't jump back and forth as as much which i enjoy i think it works a little better i think it's more deliberate and i think i was actually really curious to see what valentine had to say with it say about it because i do think it is gazy both in a pleasingly male straight kind of way and i can see how it might be you know gazy in a queer kind of way and it certainly worked pretty well for a you know 17 year old mav trying to figure things out kind of way um which is fair because i mean i've talked i've talked before on the show about how i read this when it was the right time for a formative me right like i literally am probably 16 when this issue came out i probably hadn't had my 17th birthday yet i think it's january so so but it's 91 i'm you know i'm of the the right age where hey you know this is a book that's about sex and look here's a bunch of people yeah i know we're supposed to be swimsuits that's people in their underwear you know all of them Kurt, Megan, and and Rachel are just, you know, that there. And then everything with Kitty. I do think that um I talked last episode about how I felt like Wagner was modifying his style and doing more of a throwback to the 50s girls comics um it, you know it was it was very retro i think he's moving a little closer to his regular style here he's still not this is still not his gi joe work this is not how he normally draws but he is particularly when you see the upper class girls next to the younger girls it's very clear where he wants kitty and thebes to look more womanly than the minors 
it is yeah. a very There's clear a divide. choice. Yeah. Um, I talked before about how when Kitty is having, you know, Kitty cannot fight Phoebe's on the on the hockey field because Phoebe would die. And they do tussle here, but it's very clear. If you go through, Kitty never strikes Phoebe. Phoebe jumps on top of her and Kitty allows Phoebe to straddle her. Kitty can mm-hmm. get she's a ninja. She can leave whenever she wants. Again, if she hits Phoebe, she will die. Because, <laughs> because yep. Kitty knows how to do that. She was trained by Wolverine. Like she's she is in no danger here. And I think that needs to be very clear that, you know, this isn't just a cat fight. Kitty is in zero danger. She is allowing herself to like have this conversation with this aggressive girl. And I think that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good point. How about you, Andrew? Responses to any of these things? I'm totally on board. I, I would like to point out a little bit about the attic scene and just yeah. the way that it's participating in tropes. So you've got Kitty um, gets caught spying on um, Huntsman. She says, how dare you spy on me? Pins her down on what are supposed <laughs> to be boxes, but, but very much looks like a mattress. Yep. <laughs> and then the next panel, the next panel is actually framed so that you're kind of looking up Huntsman's shirt yeah which is intense and then the next page is another trope of kitty mm-hmm. being oh you're cold in your incredibly skimpy outfit here yeah a shirt like like this is claremont giving up on subtlety right this yeah. is yeah really over the top oh, yeah. take my jacket that i just beat you to take back <laughs> you know like i am now gifting this to you which is you know it- it's the other one it's the chicago hoodie yeah oh okay yeah. yeah i went back too because i assumed it was the jacket and then i was like it wasn't the jacket right there but we do see phoebe showing we'll up get there. The jacket the jacket. oh we'll yeah. get there i want to discuss that a lot i thought it was the jacket because she does have the jacket later but if it but if it's mm-hmm. not that means they change clothes twice which is... exactly exactly <laughs> Yeah, because there's something that we're missing between that scene and the scene, right? There is a big gap there that was unexplored. <laughs> well, I want to talk about sort of the Phoebe-Kitty relationship a little bit more, but maybe talking about the symbology of the jacket as a way to get there. So the jacket has changed hands a number of times in the story so far. Would you be interested in walking us through what goes on with the jacket in this comic, Valentine? Well, (laughs) as you know, because you've just listened to this episode that came before this one, Phoebe broke in and her and her her gal pals broke into Kitty's dorm S, you know, Um, (laughs) took the jacket. Phoebe's been wearing it all around. (laughs) Kitty beats her in a game of field hockey, which sounds like a very different plot and then takes the jacket (laughs) back. And then she goes outside, does her training puts the jacket on as she walks past Huntsman. And then as we go through the jacket, the jacket has a brief, you know, uh, break from being on, on panel. And then later when Huntsman and Fee or Huntsman and Kitty come in together, Huntsman is wearing Kitty's leather jacket and Kitty is wearing her sweatshirt again. <laughs> the one that she had just given to Huntsman. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So they meant they went back to somebody's room and changed. Here, you want to so either either Huntsman asked for the jacket to be like, can I wear the jacket? Or like, because there's something inherent about like, Kitty could have just put the jacket on. She could have just put the jacket on. They could have both been warm. Instead, she goes, here, let me take my sweatshirt or jersey that you have just been wearing for a while, which definitely smells like you, <laughs> puts that on. And then she gives... Her, Huntsman, the leather jacket, which definitely smells like Kitty. 
And that's so intimate compared to what their relationship yeah. had been prior to this, which was, you know, very much based in competition. And now we have them exchanging and sharing and like mm -hmm. presenting as a team or a couple, right? Yeah. It's like immediately once they have that little heart to heart moment, she goes from calling her huntsman to calling her thieves. Right. Yeah. And I, I did just, you know, while Valentine was checking, I just flipped through. Kitty's not wearing, I, I thought Kitty did wear it when she ninjas out in the, in the red panel, the panel from every Daredevil comic ever. Oh, she yeah. ninjas out the window <laughs> and chases Phoebe's down. And then she, she was wearing, I thought she was wearing the jacket when she went ninjing, but she wasn't. She was just wearing the, um, the sweatshirt. Like when, mm -hmm. when Huntsman climbs on top of her, she's wearing just the jersey, which means and it wasn't clear to me i guess like when she decides oh no i can't be cold because you know wolverine trained me so i guess she's just <laughs> standing around. like that's basically what she says yeah she's just yeah it's standing awesome. around in like you know her undershirt and then so if valentine's right that means they go back to kitty's dorm room mm -hmm. to get the jacket because that yep. means kitty didn't bring the jacket with them mm -hmm. phoebe lives there they could have gone to her room they chose not to <laughs> yep which you know if they either had sex or they didn't but they had the time to stop at one bedroom they live in the same place so it could have been meet me in the lobby go get some clothes no they decided to change in kitty's room yep okay <laughs> sure. <laughs> sounds, sounds innocent you know that's the thing girls do i don't yeah. know what happened and listen they can swap clothes all they want i'm just saying it was a it, there was a choice was made a, there yeah, a decision was made yes <laughs> yes <laughs> and it is deliberate i don't think it's an accident yeah yeah well Kitty, because Kitty. he had to draw it i mean it, it's not like yeah. it, it's literally this isn't like this isn't even like just filming a low budget movie. This is a someone thought about this while well, someone mm -hmm. Wagner, Ron Wagner, <laughs> thought about this when he was drawing panels. And it could have it could have been in the script or it could have been an added thing. Like there could have been a note that said, We see like Huntsman and Kitty walk in and Huntsman is now wearing the jacket and now Kitty is wearing the thing. Someone somewhere made a choice. <laughs> Having seen similarly written Claremont and I think Andrew, this is more for yeah. you, but I've seen Claremont write stories about Ilyana and Kitty before to where nothing about this says accident to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Well, what do we see kind of Kitty's like progression in this story as then? Because, you know, we're going to talk about this more in the next episode. And we talked about this a little bit in the last one as well. You know, it's the challenge of doing a three-part storyline. But I mean, this is the climax of Kitty's narrative, like in the Claremont era, right? And I mean, we're going to get more of the cheerleader stuff in the next issue. And I think that's going to be very worth talking about. But we asked in the last episode about whether this makes sense sort of as a climax for her story. And I was wondering if you had thoughts about it, Valentine. Like, I mean, what are we kind of gaining in terms of Kitty character development in this storyline? Is it kind of this queer subtext that's becoming more textual in this particular issue? Is it something else? Do you think that this is a good Kitty Pride story? I think it's good in the fact that I had fun with it. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I judge good by like, did I have fun with it? Would I read it again? You know, that type yeah, of thing. There, yeah. there are stories that are good in that way. And then there's stories that are good in like a technical aspect or sometimes yeah. they overlap. You know what I mean? I like girls school from heck. I think it's silly. I think there's a lot of queer subtext. I think it's fun um, in a lot of ways. I can't tell you what those robots are doing. I have no idea, but I also don't <laughs> care. 
um you know i liked a lot of the earlier stuff with like you know megan being excited i loved the megan um <laughs> that she's been subtly like changing her routine to be like oh well it's tuesday we can't go on that mission <laughs> that's funny that's great that's a great character beat and it's very yeah. personal and it creates that character you know what i mean i think for kitty she has struggled a lot of her i say early years but this is like the first yeah. 15 years of yeah. her like syndication or whatever where she has grown up in a group that is older than her and she fits in with them and she feels comfortable with them but she has this uncomfortability with people and girls her own age where she hasn't had she's been she's been focused so much on saving the world and like doing things that have this bigger broader purpose that she hasn't taken the time to think about herself or like how she feels like she always reverts to this place when she sees a girl that is hot, that she gets mean and uh, a little bit possessive. <laughs> and she goes to this place where she's having these emotions and she spins her emotion wheel because she doesn't understand or have the words inside herself yet to say like, oh, maybe that's attraction, <laughs> you know? So I think in that regard, I love seeing her like trying to figure this stuff out and eventually coming to a place where saying like, oh, like these people can be that support system for me or just that community that I was having elsewhere that I don't have anymore because I'm, you know, isolated and alone here and I don't know where my friends are and my other friends are dead, you know? <laughs> so this is her like new reality that she has to sit into. And obviously like, of course, she's going to like try and fight that a little bit right away because it's new and it's scary. But, you know, I love seeing her like actually come to a place where she's not just trying to fight <laughs> girls yeah. she thinks yeah. are hot. <laughs> yeah, know? because she I mean, she's like, there's so much denial yeah. in her story, right? Like she's denying, yeah. you know, that she's going to join the new mutants, which, you know, given the presence yeah. of Ileana reads a certain way, right? She's mm. denying sort of being with people her own age. And, you know, what is she denying herself by like through those denials, right? So it is interesting seeing her be put into this place and to be touchable, right? Like yeah. she loses her phasing powers, so she's touchable, which makes her vulnerable. But vulnerability can be good and bad, right? I mean, being touchable mm. isn't necessarily a negative thing, right? Yeah. Question. yeah. Given that, is Phoebe right? So in the in the scene you guys are you know, talking, well, the major part of the scene for me is where, you know, when Phoebe mounts Kitty. <laughs> that's what happens um it's true she, she says but when you pushed hard we pushed back harder and why shouldn't we this is our school our turf you're the stranger you don't dictate terms you find a way to meet us on ours so i mean do you because in one respect this is the next anna you're calling it the you know the climax of the kitty story this of the entire claremontian kitty story this is the next to last issue he's going to write he leaves excalibur after you know after next issue she's not on his x-men team that you know he'll be finishing out his the claremont run on I, and so it's nice to see someone sort of I love Kitty, but Phoebe is calling her on her BS, right? Yes, you know, like, which I love. <laughs> which which is yeah. great. Like one, yeah. one of the things that I said, you know, very early on in our show, like you're supposed to be in love with Kitty, except that in real life, I know Kitty would have nothing to do with me. She doesn't like teenagers, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. Kitty's kind of bitchy to people her own age and Phoebe's calling her on yeah. it. On the other hand, you know, Phoebe's not a right. I mean, you are being horrible. You know, like, sure, it's your school. You were there first, but you leveled a room. 
you know, you stole her <laughs> stuff. Like you're not mm-hmm. like, like you, you're not, she is here. being a bad yeah. guy. You are yeah. the bad guy here. It's not like, it's not like Kitty had no reason to defend herself. So it's kind of weird for me. And maybe that's the answer is it's high school. I mean, I, I made my little joke introduction from, from the new guy. Right. Yeah, but, you did. <laughs> but it's, but it's high school. It's like prison. No one's good here. Right. Like <laughs> that's the, that's the joke, I guess. I think the thing is, is that it's like, in it, you see a lot, like we see them talking to like the headmistress and stuff. And it's like here, it's like these two are talking together. They are the same age. They are on a level playing field. Neither of them are right. Neither of them are wrong. Exactly. And it's kind of that teenage growing pains, feeling things out without having a hard boundary of like authority telling you yes or no, you know, maybe. That makes a lot of sense to me. That was pretty close to how I read it. Go ahead, Andrew. I was going to say, I think I, I think I read it along very similar lines, just the idea of Kitty starting to understand a little bit more of the complexity of the world, which isn't mm-hmm. necessarily good or evil, because one of the greatest characteristics of Kitty Pride is that she's always got the righteous fight in her, right? Mm. So having a character that she brings maybe too much righteous fight to uh, and starts to see the other perspective paints her world in a much more nuanced way that maybe reflects her maturation a little bit. You mean that not everybody's a supervillain? Like every, like all of her teenage, pro- I mean, all of her teenage problems have been fighting the, you know, the, the brood. The, yeah, yeah, the simplest, yeah, yeah. the yeah. simplest yeah. person she's ever like had to deal with in her life is like Arcade, who is still a assassin. You know, yeah. you know, like she's she's been to space, as we, you know, as Nick Fury would say, right? So maybe maybe <laughs> she does have to deal with even her regular teenage problems have mm-hmm. been with you know her boyfriend who can turn into steel. You know, mm-hmm. like, why did you break up with your boyfriend? Because he cheated on me with an alien from the other side of the universe, right? <laughs> like, that's not relatable. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. We've well, all that's been. That's what we've been kind of saying, yeah. too, right? It's just that Kitty Pride has been seeing the world as an X Man. So putting her in a situation that's not an X Man situation, you letting know, her see the even... world from a different light and kind of maybe toning it down a little bit. I, yeah, I think it's even, complex. Even if you think of like her first her first appearance of she shows up, the Hellfire Club's there, it's Emma Frost. There is a hot, mean, yeah. blonde lady. And here she shows up, there's a hot, mean, blonde lady and her brain yeah, goes, yeah. I know what to do with this. <laughs> yep. She's been trained. <laughs> you know? Hot, mean, blonde lady's 15. Leave her alone. <laughs> <laughs> Leave her alone. She has her own problem. She's also growing up. <laughs> but it is so nice, right? Like, I mean, we've talked about the, po- the problematic power dynamics, you know, in the kitty saturnine thing among other things you know the fact that consent was messy there because of the deception and everything but um and because of the age stuff but i mean here it is someone her own age right Mm -hmm. it's the mean blonde girl who's her own age and Mm -hmm. like there's something quite satisfying about that they're poor class she should be 16 just saying <laughs> kitty age, well. I, I will say kitty age is going to matter after claremont leaves kitty age is going to be less consistent but also matter less i think so yeah. I'm getting those jokes out i don't think it's going to matter as much <laughs> yeah. can i pivot toward the kurt thing like and talk yes, about it for a little bit yes <laughs> let's get there <laughs> Well, okay, so there was a few things that I had about this. And I'm like, obviously, I want everybody to talk about it. But I just, we haven't had a lot of callbacks to Kurt's trauma, like in a while. And we haven't really talked about it on the podcast much at all. I've brought it up a couple of times. But I mean, the trauma of him dealing with a disability throughout Excalibur has not been something that has really come up. And the thing that I particularly love about this scene is seeing him deal with it. And Mm -hmm. I have like, one of the stories that I've never had about Nightcrawler, like in any official 
official comic that like drives me crazy is that there hasn't been something talking about sort of his psychological connection to his powers and his physical connection to his powers and how he perceives the world as a teleporter. And when I think about his disability, I think about that a lot because what would that feel like? I mean, to him, it is a physical disability. He could move through time and space in a certain way, and now he can't move through time and space in that way. And what that must like feel like and kind of the claustrophobia that you would feel knowing you used mm-hmm. to be able to like move across space or move across a room with a thought like they used to be able to escape with a thought and escape is very important for Kurt someone who gets chased by angry mobs right (laughs) so to not have that power of escape imagine like the psychological burden of that and obviously it would it would (laughs) and so I think that that's a really good read on his character and it's subtle because we're not having him stating that explicitly like I mean the other thing I really like about the way that this plays out is he's not really aware of why he's doing it he says he's testing his teleportation powers but we don't see until after he nearly dies and then he has the thought bubble where he's like maybe this is actually about kitty and then just sort of glances <laughs> on it and then he doesn't really like go there with it which i really really liked that was like a good way to kind of handle it because the thing about kurt and trauma to me it's like all superheroes repress their trauma but because he has this firm commitment to being everybody's best friend to being cheerful to being that guy all of the time his repression would be like a particular burden on him right he never talks about his trauma even less than other people he never talks about it because he can't because he's this happy-go-lucky guy and that's how he deals with things like he'll always be like I'm not one to complain I'm just gonna like do my thing and that's how he approaches his body that's how he approaches his disability and so like these moments where he is sort of forced to confront it I find really interesting but then again a really good character read I think that he's actually not aware of it because he's repressed it so much he doesn't even know why he's doing what he's doing and I really liked that about it and just like last thing I really like how much joy he's taking in his body here because that relates to the disability thing too right like I mean he's Mm -hmm. had this insecurity in his body he's had again his relationship to time and space changed he's like not able to rely on his body the same way he was so you know I talk about sexy nightcrawler a lot and you know we have fun with it and everything but there's an importance to that in a scene like this to feel sexy to feel beautiful to feel at home in his body it's important to communicate that with the artwork here because that's thematically important to the scene and I think it's important to his navigation of disability in this scene those are my like two cents about it but I'm happy like was I Valentine you said that you enjoyed this scene as well so like was it for different reasons or similar reasons or was that just my super subjective nightcrawler reading no that's how I read it too and I loved yeah he's like the us the reader we know exactly why he's upset Mm -hmm. about stuff it's that you know the whole team is dead you know before they join Excalibur and it was Mm -hmm. just him and Kitty and he, he put that on himself being that they were kind of the two that came over here together that he kind of had to look out for her and take care of her and he hasn't realized because he's traumatized and sad and depressed about it Mm -hmm. mixed with his like lack and you know low functioning power like he has all this stuff he's dealing with that he's not unpacking because there's been no time they've been literally traveling through like space and time yeah (laughs) They're finally back at the lighthouse and he is not unpacking this yet. He's just trying to like get into himself and his mind and his body. And he's like, oh, wait, (laughs) this is probably about Kitty. (laughs) And it's interesting that it parallels like him jumping off the lighthouse and diving and Kitty doing her her Mm -hmm. training and techniques because they both have those like internal thoughts of I don't feel like I'm the best that I could be doing right now. And that upsets me, you know? Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about their embodiment, like respectively in those scenes too. And like Kurt's in the speedo and Kitty's in like the hot pants with Mm -hmm. the, with the t-shirt and then with the jacket. Right. And how, how does that look kind of, you know, come together to express her confidence in herself. Right. Because that look seems so Kitty to me with the French braid too. Yes. Well, Kitty, and this is something I think about a lot, um, is like dressing your superheroes and civvies and what they choose to wear, right? So for Kitty, at least how I've read her over the years, is she is very like like function and form. So she's like, I'm going to tie my hair back in a French braid so it doesn't get in my face while I'm like doing all these movements. And I'm going to wear clothes that I can move in. I don't really care how they look. I just want to be able to move them. I don't want them to be too tight because that is uncomfortable to me. Um, She's making deliberate choices in the same way that Kurt is in his Speedo when he's saying like, I may not be able to teleport but i still love my body and i haven't lost that love for it you know i love that andrew or mav did you have thoughts on this kurt scene i really like rachel's role in it because mm. like exactly as valentine is saying right kurt was there to sort of keep kitty um not necessarily in line but certainly well and kitty was there for kurt in that exact same capacity they had a really mm-hmm. nice sort of symbiotic relationship yeah. so the idea of kurt pushing himself too far and dying because kitty's not there would make sense Mm-hmm. Except Rachel has sort of swept no. in and taken on the Kitty role, yeah. which I think speaks to the intimacy between Rachel and Kitty, as well as between mm-hmm. Rachel and Kurt. So I really mm-hmm. liked that. I thought that was again a really nice character touch. Yeah, that's great. I would also pull it pull it back to this is um we talked about the trauma of it's weird to call it a disability because the disability is well when you can't teleport as much as you can teleport before right like I, but i get why it's a te- why it's a disability to kurt excalibur was weird in that like that mattered when it was storyline convenient and then sometimes it, <laughs> and sometimes they just yeah. forget um kitty's phasing injury as well both of them were just sort of we'll deal with this when we want to and if they're if the story needs their powers to work they're just going to work and that was like a mm-hmm. problem um where this was done really well and claremont didn't write it but he would have absolutely have been aware of it because this was a major plot line starting in X Factor number twelve. Yeah, by Louise Simonson. I think it's. I think it starts in issue twelve. It might be eleven. So I'm, I'm doing this from memory and from thirty <laughs> something years ago. Um, but <laughs> but what's what happens here is Warren goes through the same thing. Warren is also brutalized. Yeah. Warren Worthington Angel is also brutalized during the Munich massacre. And the doctors basically say, you're too injured. We're going to have to take the wings. And they cut off his wings. And other than that, he's fine. And this drives him to suicide. He is absolutely devastated. And, you know, and his friends are, you know, you've got so much to live for. And he's like, no, I can't. I cannot fly. And they're like, nobody can fly. And he's like, but I could. (laughs) It's an impossible thing for him to explain to anybody why, you know, the thing that made me me, you've taken away. And they said, well, we had to save your life. And he says, you should have let me die. Like, I did not want to live like this. And it's it's done so masterfully that you sort of, in the context of Simonson's writing, you sort of understand why he was willing to deal with Apocalypse. He was, uh, no matter what the cost, sure, I will be your evil slave if you can give me my wings back. He was yeah. fully aware of what he was doing. And it seems weird, but, like, she did a lot of work to get Warren to the place that he was that person. I don't think Kurt could have ever gotten there, at least the way Chris was writing Kurt at that time. He would have just 
been depressed forever i don't think he would have ever made a deal with the devil but i think that playing yeah. them against each other I, I think kurt's feeling is more i should have died with the x-men and i'm gonna do everything i can to make that happen and which is sad and and it's never really picked up on again after this well but i mean it makes sense that kurt has a different a very different relationship with his body than warren i mean i think that that's actually warren that's a pretty. really yeah i know but that's <laughs> yeah. that's actually a really interesting compare like perfect comparison because you know they are two sides of the same coin or whatever you know the way warren has been beautiful his whole life and he's dealt with you know being a mutant and strapping down his wings and hiding but he still had that right he could still pass and he's still rich still all of these things all of those things <laughs> kurt, kurt never ever ever had right? Right, right so it makes sense that kurt would be in a better position to sort of navigate changes to his body so i do find it very believable mm. that kurt's trauma is not something that is a big part of his story because we do see kitty like being like damn it i'm not solid like i can't touch anything and we do see her like erupting in moments like that and like we've never seen that with kurt other than sword is drawn when as you're saying it was more about sort of the guilt of losing the x-men and his feelings about his teleportation were present there because he tries to teleport and can't and that's what almost gets him killed but again i think it's a good character read that like because it's a subtle thing because I'm like so on like the Nightcrawler wavelength when I read, right? So like I am yeah. bringing some of this to the story. And yet I also just think it's a good character read that he wouldn't have yes. sort of, he wouldn't be complaining ever. And he wouldn't he's like mention born. it ever. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah he's, and, but, but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And I think it's yeah. interesting yeah. in that it is presented a different, you know, a different mm -hmm. and probably in many ways more dangerous way because no one you know you have to be really close to him to know how bad he's hurting mm -hmm. and i think mm -hmm. that's so i think that matters and i think that's part of what's trying to happen here and then to bring it back to what we were talking about kitty would be there and she would be sensitive and deal with it kitty is not here rachel is and so how's rachel gonna deal with it rachel's gonna be rachel you know like <laughs> like I, I am not emotionally <laughs> like like rachel is not emotionally equipped <laughs> for, to be to be you know to be the shoulder for you to cry on you know i love you but you know is basically what you're gonna get from her um rachel also offers she's like it's fine if you want to do this it's fine if you want to test your abilities a little bit just make just do it with a spotter <laughs> just make yeah. sure that i'm here <laughs> in case something goes wrong that i can pluck you out of the water and you'll be fine and then i think uh, it, get, it gets mentioned later like oh well like you shouldn't be doing this because like what if we have to use your powers later and then you don't have them but it's also like yeah she offers she's like just let me be here for it i'll be yeah. here we don't have to talk <laughs> but i'll be here and watching you and making sure you're okay <laughs> Yeah, Rachel yeah. Rachel is the friend who is like, oh, you're depressed. Well, okay, I'll do drugs with you. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know like that's not, it's the best that she's got, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I like the way Kurt reacts to it too, because it's such an interesting comparison with the Sword is Drawn scene. Like, I do think there's a little bit of Claremont just kind of slotting Rachel into the kitty role here, like, because he wants to do the same thing again. But I also think if I'm going to, like, read it sort of fanishly or whatever, the way that Kurt reacts to her, like, in the panel where he's, like, toweling off and he smiles and he's just like, oh, no pain, no gain. Thanks for the rescue. <laughs> and then he's just kind of, like, smiling confidently with the towel and everything. That is so different from how he reacts to when kitty chewed him out and he was way more open and honest and honestly sad with her mm -hmm. he was way more vulnerable with her than he is with rachel yeah. and i find that interesting yeah. rachel's yeah. not a little sister i mean no. she's she's part of the family but she's not it's not the same relationship 
Yeah, mm-hmm. they're not there yet. <laughs> oh, other things that we need to talk about in this issue. I'm like loving this conversation so much, and I want to make sure that we don't like miss anything. Like we've talked a bunch about, you know, sexy pajamas. It's the joke on the show, right? And I think that goes towards, you know, the outfits here. Again, I I'm 17 years old when I'm reading this the first time, and this is not what anybody, uh, you know, I have been lucky enough to see naked girls <laughs> at, at, in my life at this point. But like, and 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 you know, and you know what? In the 30 years since then, right? This is <laughs> a time wanted, or two. Yes, yes. I've I've had sex at least twice in my life. I'm very proud of it. Um, that, that said. To my experience, you know, having lived with several women at various times, when we go to page 27 of the comic, you know, when the girls are having their planning session before, <laughs> yeah. before, oh, before Phoebe's and Kitty have shown back up and we have the plastics or the Heathers or, you know, Phoebe's gang without her. Okay, And, you know, I am not a woman. I have lived with many different women, some romantically, some not. To my experience, no women dress like the, like the three of them unless sex is about to happen or has just happened. That is, those are not regular <laughs> clothes at all. One's in bondage gear. One's in a Victoria's Secret teddy. The other, like, w- what is going on? Because even Phoebe doesn't dress like this. It's just those three in the upper. And I don't even have to point them out. I mean, I'm obviously I'm talking about the three in the right hand corner, but yeah, you guys yeah, are looking yeah. at them. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, sure. I mean, I guess like they're also going to go to a Hellfire Gala afterwards. <laughs> like that's how they look but i mean is that a case is that a case where we can bring different things to it because i do think there's a knee-jerk thing of being like oh this is male gaze this is whatever but it's also sexualizing this girl on girl space right oh yeah yeah, which is fine i'm not judging as good or bad i'm saying it is absolutely deliberate like oh no i know that is a a special choice particularly given it's just the three plastics right like the other girls in the school are not dressed like that I think it's I think it's a case of like clothing choice and perf- like performance either for themselves or in to be viewed by the other girls, right? Because I think everyone there has chosen to wear something. I think that, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like you're saying, a lot of them are wearing t-shirts and like shorts and stuff. I think that there had to be word spread to get all of the girls to come together in this common space, right? So I'm imagining almost like a situation where they would be like, oh, we're going to be in a space with all these girls and we have to put on this like air of like performance or whatever, of like, we are more adult, we are more mature, we are more whatever. And they put on these clothes. Maybe they were wearing them a bit, maybe they weren't and they put them on specifically for this to be the plastics you know what I mean oh I love that reading of it because yeah it makes me think of sort of being that age and the way when you're a teenage girl you are sold sexy underwear like that I mean you know in Canada that's like Licenza right like that's the whole brand (laughs) you know that I can Valentine's in Canada these days but but yeah I don't know so I mean it is like I want to look mature Mm -hmm. and this is what I chose you know because I can almost I can almost buy that yeah 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 Yeah. I think it's definitely like there's some like outside of the book like artistic choices and like Mm -hmm. exaggeration being mm-hmm. done here there's for sure exaggeration but i like that could be the situation who knows <laughs> yeah it's it's open-ended in that respect at the very least andrew was there stuff that you desperately wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about we barely talked about megan in this issue other than a couple of short references oh my to... god we forgot megan i know <laughs> I, I, do, I do love megan <laughs> But um, the one I wanted to talk about briefly is the ninja scene again. We we talked about it in the last episode of the pod that this is about um, Kitty sort of being um, maybe refeminized is at least Courtney's or Satter Courtney's ambition towards it. 
and how she comes into this very kind of brainwashing space. And then I really love, I think the field hockey scene has this going on as well, but but here she is demonstrating her absolute badassery um, outside of gender norms. And she's not being taught, she's becoming the teacher, which we talked about again, is kind of a tropey thing of her. But for Claremont's sign off from Kitty Pride to see Kitty being awesome and all these other girls looking at her and thinking she's amazing and then joining her army, that mm-hmm. makes my heart happy a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, one of the things I, I sort of meant to bring this up earlier, but like the ways that Kitty was supposed to be changed by the space and is, but she's also changing the space, right? Yeah. I mean, again, yeah. which, which fits with things that we talked about with her before, that she's someone that goes through boundaries and like all of these things right so i love the scene where they're watching her do like her martial arts routine and they compare her to bruce lee because it's yeah. like a little moment of gender bending is too far because you know you can be compared to anybody but like at the same time it is a connotatively masculine performance and these girls who are in this space ostensibly as you're saying at this school to feminize them to teach them to play well with others to like mold them into like charlotte even used the word empire in the last issue right because it's a british boarding mm. school and that's part of it kitty is coming in here and showing them like a new way to be and whether it's a new way to be a girl or just a new way to be she's interfering in the space and then you see the underclassmen throw the donut at phoebe (laughs) which we didn't talk about that moment like that hitting her in the face and then her licking her fingers afterwards (laughs) erotic (laughs) Uh, hilarious but um, but yeah, so like Kitty's disrupting the space and she's changing the space too. Yeah, um, yeah those two, the two first pages where it goes to Kitty um, practicing in the courtyard or whatever. It's very deliberate that the when she makes her first move, there is no background on that panel. It is just a bright, hot magenta. And that rarely happens, you know, for the rest of the book. There's a couple like color spots here and there, but that is by far the biggest one with the most real estate that is just a pop of color at your face. So you know, right? And then the other thing from that second page, like in the same way that Kurt had that realization of, oh, like this might be about Kitty. Kitty has that realization, which is like her version of that, which is, she says exactly in her mind, like question is, why do I find it means so much for me to fit in? Mm-hmm. why she's got to that point now that she can start to finally unpack that you mm-hmm. know yeah self-awareness yeah and it's great to have her having the self-awareness like in the martial arts scene too i think yeah because it's sort of like it's both perfect for her character but like also kind of a juxtaposition thing i think it kind of does both things yeah i think she's fighting you know this whole time when she can't become intangible and then she finally gives in to being in her body, you know, and that's the yeah. moment that the realization comes. And she's fighting with herself. That's like what yeah. I was trying to get to. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. Finally got there. There it is. <laughs> Andrew, any final thoughts? And I'll, I'll give the last word to Valentine. We still haven't really talked about Mesmero, but there's not a lot to talk about. I kind of happy not... I'm happy to not talk about him making Megan kiss him because I'd rather it hadn't happened. I don't like the title, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah, that it's reaching. That doesn't make any sense from intertextual perspective or the fact that the roof is not hot. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so maybe reaching, maybe reaching, I don't know. I get that they wanted the Tennessee Williams reference or whatever, but it's not really, doesn't have anything to do with that particular place. It's not not really a good callback. I mean, the queer queer subtext thing. I mean, we got got that going on. Like, I mean, you know, like in the movies a bit different than the play, but yeah. 
does he know he's leaving the book? He's got one issue left after this. So it's possible, you know, this Count on Hot Ten Ruth makes as much sense as any other issue with Kitty in it. So it's possible he's like, you know what? I've been sitting on this for like seven years. <laughs> <laughs> like like i didn't use it in uncanny this pun. Yeah. <laughs> i've got this pun i've got i'm not gonna leave it there for somebody else to do you know <laughs> you know like i'm i'm getting this <laughs> i'm gonna get this moment i mean we could mention the the tiny bit of like shoehorning in shadow king still I trying to make shadow there, king because <laughs> what are we about to go into we're about to go into the mirror island saga <laughs> not in this book <laughs> i know not in this book but you know what i mean yeah it's like, Listen, my other girl Siren is there. I need to like drop her once in this podcast. <laughs> well, maybe that's it. You know, maybe those things tie together. If Claremont knows he's leaving, this was actually January of 1991. The the tension starts in April of ninety one. Oh, okay. okay. But but he only writes one more book. I mean, in theory, I mean, he was gearing up for volume two. But I mean, I meant does Claremont know he's leaving Excalibur? Because if he knows that he's not going to have a lot of time with Kitty, and he's trying to end on that pun. And he knows he's about to write the Shadow King saga, or he believes yeah. he is. So is this him like just doing a commercial for himself? You know, catch yes. me on my... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he does that. <laughs> Valentine, any like final thoughts from you to conclude our discussion today? Anything that you want to talk about before we leave this issue behind forever? Yeah, um, let's talk about that last panel, <laughs> which is... Kitty being like, I'm going to teach you all to be cheerleaders. And all of the girls are like, oh, dear God, not you. And then Huntsman, Huntsman, who is already, you know, nothing happened in that room or in that time that they were away, but is like pure supportive girlfriend here. Like, how dare you? (laughs) You, She's going to do so much for you guys and you don't even know. (laughs) It's peak peak good stuff. (laughs) yeah that is so good kitty's like well me and then like phoebe's like glaring at everybody that's like got the disgusted expression yeah yeah pure agony on like seven girls faces (laughs) yeah i guess that'll come up more next next week you know because it it is an odd choice because and i've made sure to point this out every time it's come up in preparation for this issue so this is a little uh, behind the scenes for the listener if you go back and listen to other episodes you'll notice that i have meticulously pointed out every time kitty has pointed out how much she despises cheerleaders mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah I, I did that for a reason because i knew eventually we'd have to read this you know this book in next week so i don't know <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk about we'll talk about the cheerleading and the next issue for sure the only other thing i had that written down that we didn't really address is phoebe's choice of retaliation back at kitty after this which is she's like no 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 we won't fight physically we're gonna fight like in another way and she gives her a sort of version of the thing that kitty desperately wants which is to be intangible or like invisible you know what i mean that kind of like untouchable and phoebe basically tells everyone not to talk to her not to acknowledge her and she just walks around like a ghost pretty much and is by herself like isn't that interesting how like that's her choice of warfare and then we learn later that you know huntsman has you know we don't get the exact details but we get kind of the feeling that she has been neglected or ignored by her multiple sets of parents and that she's probably experienced this knows how it how it feels and then puts that on the kitty 
there's a lot of character in that in that speech. Yeah, yeah I have four, yeah. four sets of parents, and I'm, my dad's yeah. about to trade in for another one. There's a lot of character for a disposable antagonist. Yeah, but I love that you brought that up, Valentine, because that suggests an affinity between them too, right? I mean, you know, that exactly. experience of being invisible, that experience of yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, I'm like, am I shipping them now? Like, I mean, I'm, kind of like, I'm like kind of pretty sold on this relationship at this point. I kind of want more of them. I want Phoebe Here's to come back thing. into our lives. Coming 2023. Yeah, Kate right. Pride and the Huntsman. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Could you, that's the thing is like, that would be a lovely, like, even if it didn't explore anything, just to have like a character appearance of like Phoebe Huntsman showing up when like Kate is running around on the Marauder and she'll be like, wait, I know you. Oh, like how man. great would that be? Even I just for like- I with that like... girl at boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh man. She now still I... has my jacket. Oh. <laughs> oh. That would be I want that back. <laughs> that would be amazing. Like point of order. And I should have brought this up earlier. I couldn't remember. Is it the cat's laughing jacket or is it the it, Lila Cheney jacket? It's not. It's not labeled. I went looking. Yeah, I went looking too. <laughs> <laughs> it is a. It is a gratuitously fringe leather jacket. It is very kitty like, but it is not specifically labeled as either band, which means it might just be her other jacket. Ah, uh, I was wondering if it was the same one from Mojo Mayhem or not. It is. Yeah, she does specifically have leather jackets that say Lila Cheney and that say Cat's Laughing from other books and this is not even when we see it from behind it does not appear to be labeled um as either when yeah. phoebe is wearing it in the previous issue i did i did go check when <laughs> <laughs> that's a minor criticism because it should have had that because that would have made it that much no because then awesome. kitty would have actually killed her yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, when this ends at the first issue yeah, when she, she throws she that field hockey ball <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's all <laughs> all right that's a perfect moment to end on So Valentine, thank you so, so, so much for joining us. I love this conversation so much. Before we go, though, we need to remind our listeners of your stupendous work. So where can people find you online? And of course, where can they purchase your art and comics online? And if you have specific like Excalibur related pieces that you specifically would like people to look out for, <laughs> you can hype those as well. I know you've got a new comic that is in progress right now. So please hype that up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, you know, most social media sites at Valentine M. Smith with a one in the Smith. So it's Valentine M. S. M. One T. H. My website, if you just want to peruse, I have comics on there. I have X-Men comics that I do with Zoe Demel. Um, that's at ValentineMSmith.com. Um, the store is directly attached there where I have prints, t-shirts, you know, a Lockheed hat because I wanted Lockheed on a hat. <laughs> <laughs> um uh all sorts of fun things um we just launched blade maidens which is a fantasy uh weekly kind of comic that will be launching the prelude is up now it's about two kind of disaster lesbian mercenaries who are just trying to make it in you know a fun magical world with swords so <laughs> it's very exciting very um, relatable Exactly. Uh, this Love could be it. happening right outside your very window. Mm -hmm. um, so we have uh, 
weekly comics that are going to be coming in October. I have a couple other things, like fun things that are happening in October. There's a uh, funky little tarot project that will be happening. Um, um, and then, yeah, so there's a couple things that I, I can't I can't tell you the specifics yet, but it is going to be a very good time. I'm very excited about it. I've been working nonstop to make it a good time, and I've loved being here and discussing this with you guys. We loved having you. I think I speak for everybody. So next, in one week's time, we will be on to episode 35, discussing Excalibur number 34, School Spirit. It's Claremont's last issue of Excalibur, and the climax, such as it is, of Girls' School from Heck. We've got a super smart scholar on tap to help us commemorate the occasion. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which you can find via our website or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, <laughs> if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know you can reach out via our website goshgollywow.com where we've got some fun extras and via twitter at goshgollywow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras thank you andrew and mav for another mesmerizing conversation thank you valentine for lending us your vision thank you all for listening and a special thanks to maximilian of thoughtform music for our truly epic theme song play us out 